disruption zone. Opportunity lives where the status quo dies. Talking to the greatest innovators, disruptors, and off-the-wall inventors, we can scrounge up. You laugh, you'll learn, you'll be inspired. Now, here are your hosts, Leland Conway and Cameron Mills. All right, welcome to the Disruption Zone. I'm excited about today's episode with my friend Nikki Gozer. She has a very tragic story and is very passionately pro-Second Amendment and has a lot of warnings for people. If Joe Biden is going to be the next president, what things could look like for those of us who support the Second Amendment. We're going to dive into her story. She had a stalker who shot and killed her husband right in front of her. And we're going to dive into that story and why she's so passionate about the Second Amendment coming up in just a minute. First, though, thanks to Louisville Cabinets and Countertops for making this podcast possible. We appreciate them. They're located at 6200 Hit Lane in Louisville, Kentucky, right on the border of Odom and uh, Louisville. And if you're in southern Indiana, Louisville or Odom County, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops is your place. They did our kitchen and master bathroom. And I don't talk about businesses that I don't fully support. And uh, they supported my show in Louisville for a long time, and I have done business with them. They actually put in our kitchen or did our kitchen, and they did a fantastic job. Uh, so I would highly recommend them if you're looking to upgrade your kitchen. If you're a contractor or a do-it-yourselfer, they've got affordable, beautiful, high-quality cabinets in stock. Um, they've even got, if you need laminate countertops, some of them can be cut the same day. Or if you're looking for any kind of stone, fabulous, marble, um, quartz, granite, any kind of solid surface, they've got that for you as well. And they have turnkey kitchen remodel services with three great designers on staff, Michelle, Kelly, and George. So give them a call at 502-930-3304 uh, or visit LouisvilleCabinetsAndCountertops.com, 6200 Hit Lane in Louisville, Kentucky. Thanks again to Louisville Cabinets and Countertops for supporting this podcast. All right, guys, let's dive into our conversation with the great and awesome Nikki Gozer. We kick it off by discussing whether I actually love or hate cats. I know that's something you just can't wait to hear, but, well, we did it anyway. I just, animals are awesome. But in terms of my preference for pets, cats are not the top of my list. But this cat is so full of personality. She's weird, and I love the weirdness. Like, I don't know, she's part lap cap where she, like, every night she gets up in my lap. But she's not, like, pushy. You know what I'm talking about? Um, yeah. And she's not so stand up. Like, the thing that drives me nuts is, like, the aloofness of cats, right? Like, my dogs are always happy to see me. I walk in the door, like, boom, there they are. It's the greatest thing since sliced bread. Cats are like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> you know, they drive me nuts. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Well, I'm a dog person, and I have two cats now. Oh, uh, you don't have any Go dogs? Figure. No. My dog, Tinkerbell, I had to put her down, oh, like, no. three years ago. Oh, it no. was actually on Christmas Eve. It was the most horrible Christmas. Oh, my but gosh. Yeah. She was 16, and bless her heart, she had just run her course, and yeah. she. It was time, yeah, you know, it yeah. was the right thing to do, but I haven't had a pet since then. I was just grief stricken. And then these stray kitty cats came my <laughs> way and now I have kitties. That's hilarious. We found, um, the coolest animal that ever came into our lives. We were right after we first got married. I mean, like we'd been married like a month and we lived in this townhouse and it was kind of next door to a Walmart. And so we would walk over to the Walmart sometimes just when we didn't have anything to do and we didn't have any money, you know, or brand new couple and got nothing. So we'd just walk over and look at the plant section and we're looking at the plants and we hear this like little scrubby noise. And I look down and underneath of the plants is a shoe box, 
that has two kittens in it. And their eyes are barely open. Like they've just, you know what I mean? Like just barely open. Like they needed to be bottle fed. And somebody had just left these two cats there. One was solid black and one was solid gray. And uh, we had already two cats because my wife is like a cat person. And um, but we were like, we're not going to leave them here. So we took them in. And one of them, we actually drove to San Antonio to give to my parents because they were wanting a pet. And the other one we kept because he had major health problems. And we called him Puck. He was solid black and he couldn't walk. Like he would slide on the floor. So we called him Puck. And Aww. yeah, he had these massive digestive issues that the, the vet was like, look, $2,000 just to get started figuring out what it is. You know, you know, so just give it a comfortable life as long as you can. And so we kept it for like two years. And then he finally was just in so much pain, we had to put him down. But he was like the most old soul animal I have ever been around in my life. And was so, you could just tell, like, when, you know, an animal's just thankful when you take them in. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, it was like that. So, and I, I know I'm, I talk a big game about hating cats, but I guess in reality, it's like, I, I'm a, I'm a lover of all things with four legs, all animals. I love them all. <laughs> Yeah, well, I love the videos you post on your social media of the cat, the crazy cat. Yeah, creepy cat. She's so weird. It's so funny. I, I mean, she has – so her story is my my wife's mother, her neighbors, moved out and left a litter of cats, just abandoned them. And so my wife's mom took them in, but she can't handle – like there was like 15 of them. So she was trying to find homes for all of them, and this was the last one. And it's kind of a runt. Like she didn't grow very big. And she was raised in a tree in the front yard of my mother-in-law's house. So she has a little bit of that sort of wildcat aspect to her. Um, so she's fun like that. You know what I mean? Like she's she's more like – she's like a tiny mountain lion. Like I know she'd eat my face if she weighed 50 pounds more, you know? <clears throat> right. So Nikki Guzzer, it's good to talk to you. I, I'm always pronouncing your name that way. And I and we've been friends for a long time. And I don't even know if I'm saying your last name right. Am I yeah, saying you, it? <laughs> you've got it right. I'm like, we've yeah, been friends for right. several years. And yet I'm like, I don't know. Like, it's it's easy to pronounce Conway. You know, you can't screw that up. Um, so it's good to have you back. How are you? I'm I'm doing well. Nice to talk with you. You uh, There was an article in the Daily Torch that was phenomenal about you and your book stalked and defenseless and I really want people to go and read your book and pick up your book because it's your powerful story I know that you've been on with the podcast before but why don't we start with your story again for those because we're our podcast's audience is growing a lot of people haven't heard some of the earlier episodes so just to kind of go back through um you had a really one of the most tragic things you can possibly imagine happen to you in your life you had a stalker who found you where you and your husband were working. And I just want to let you tell the story of what happened. Yeah, back in 2009, my husband Ben was murdered right in front of me by a man who was stalking me. And at the time, Tennessee state law said that uh, you could not bring a permitted handgun um, for your own self-defense into any restaurant if they served alcohol. So, I followed the law. I left my permitted firearm that I normally carried for self-defense locked inside of my vehicle. Of course, the man who was stalking me did not have a permit to carry. He brought a gun in illegally into the middle of a gun-free zone. And I asked management to remove him because I realized I, I was being stalked. And when they went to confront him to ask him to leave, he pulled a 45 from a shoulder holster under his jacket. Mm. 
and proceeded to come up behind Ben and shoot him in the head. And then he stood over Ben and continued to fire six more rounds into him in the middle of a busy restaurant, 50 witnesses in front of security cameras and myself. And I will probably wonder for the rest of my life if I could have prevented that. Of course, I'll never know because I was denied a chance. I was stalked and defenseless. So I have just made it my mission over the past 11 years to educate people about why it's so important to protect yourself, why our Second Amendment is important, and how so many of these gun control laws, um, they, they don't help good law-abiding people. They actually hurt us. They make us vulnerable. Right. Because let's face it, bad guys, people with evil intent, they're not going to care about your gun control laws. You know, in the article on the Daily Torch, uh, you, brought, you brought up something that I think is really super important. Um, I work in the firearms training industry, and you mentioned how the people who need to protect themselves most often live in crime-ridden areas where um, there's a lot of violence and it's most difficult to get a firearm to protect yourself. I think you mentioned that it's like a little over $200 to get a background check in New York City. It's 125 in D.C., whereas in normal America, a background check's like 10 bucks. Um it should not cost be cost prohibitive to find out that someone is a law-abiding citizen. And I think, you know, what I've seen in my own personal experience in the firearms training industry is, yes, you're, you're dead on. We are seeing huge, huge groups of people coming to the Second Amendment from all walks of life, all political persuasions in urban areas. And yet those are the areas where it can often be the most difficult to protect yourself and where the justice system often turns against the victim when they defend themselves. Right. Yeah. I think, you know, criminals, criminals aren't going to care. I mean, let's face it. Is a yeah. criminal going to go and get a background check? No. Is a criminal going to abide by your gun control law? that says you can't have any more than 10 round magazine. No. Right. Are they going to register their guns? No. All of these gun control laws really only impact, you know, honest, hardworking Americans. And it makes it more difficult for them to defend themselves when you jack up prices of background checks and carry permits. And, you know, people need to be able to protect themselves. But so many people are priced out of doing that. Right. They make it too costly for them. Right. Right. It's it's almost impossible to buy ammo right now anyway as a result of the shortage. Um, and yet we're we're facing a potential administration that will be very, very antagonistic. Um, I was looking at some of Joe Biden's gun proposals and one of the things and, and I want to come back to firearms and handguns. I want to come back to handguns a little bit later. Um, but Colian Noir, I don't know if you follow him or know him, but I follow him on social media and he tweeted out yesterday, he said, Joe Biden wants to ban AR-15s to save lives. AR-15s make up less than 1% of gun deaths in America. I guess he's okay with guns that are used in the 99% of gun deaths and won't ever want to ban those. People stop being naive. So what Colian is obviously saying is it starts with the big scary guns, but then they'll come after the other ones, the ones that equalize you know, you against a stalker, that equalize my wife against multiple attackers that, um, you know, those kinds of firearms, they'll come after uh, eventually. But it's asinine. I think that Joe Biden wants to 
register every existing AR-15 and then charge a $200 tax for every existing quote-unquote high-capacity magazine? Yeah, and don't be surprised if that expands to all semi-auto guns, including handguns and regular standard magazines for handguns. Right. Yeah, I think that's why the Senate is so important, to be honest with you, because if we were to lose the Senate, we would see sweeping handgun and, and firearm legislation like we've never seen before. Obviously, it would force Congress to uh, turn over, probably, because I what I think is interesting is the number of people from the left coming to the Second Amendment. Have you noticed that? Yeah. And you know what? I think I think these riots. Yes. Have really scared people. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. you, you, you may have thought, oh, you know, you don't really need a gun before. But then once these riots started happening and some of these people saw that police are standing down, they're being told to stand down by their Democrat leadership. Yeah. Uh, people get scared for their own lives, for their safety, for their children, for their homes. And, you know, these calls for defunding police is pretty scary. I think it scared a lot of Americans. I think it did, too. Scottsdale, Arizona, they had a upscale mall there that was beautiful. Uh, in fact, I had just visited it back in February. And um, the police literally stood by while that place was destroyed and looted. And, you know, Scottsdale's a wealthy area of town. They targeted it on purpose because it's a wealthy area of town. So for whatever reason, I guess wealthy people are responsible for everyone's problems or whatever. And, you know, the point is, if you, if the police literally stood by outside and let that happen and it's like, well, what do you think the police are going to do? And I, and I I love our police, but in big cities, they're often strapped by what the leadership of those big cities tell them. So what do you think they're going to be told to do when they come after you in your neighborhood? You know, and it's like th- that 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 rise in violence, that rise in in lawlessness, that rise in lack of control, you know, I mean, if a group of people can just literally, without regard to taxpayers in their district, take over a couple of blocks of Seattle and the police literally stand down because the elected leaders in that city tell them to. And then what's ironic about it is the wor- worst things happened in that area. There was rape, there was murder, there was there was beatings. All of it in this area that was supposedly free of the horrible police in Seattle. You know, you're right. I think that really shook a lot of people in America to our core, more so than maybe is being vocalized or more so than is being shown on things like social media where they censor opinions that might be contradictory. But I think most Americans, I think a a majority of Americans were very concerned by that. Absolutely. So let's go back to handguns. Um. Obviously, you are concealed carry now. Did you get that law changed in Tennessee? Were you part of that with with the uh, drinking the restaurant establishment? Carry bill? Yeah, yeah, restaurant carry bill. Uh, I certainly tried to help. Um, has it I been changed? With, yep. Okay. Yeah, good, it good. has been changed now. As long as you've got your handgun carry permit and you are not drinking any alcohol, right? You can carry in restaurants that serve alcohol. Now they are still allowed to. Um, and I'm, I'm fine with this, you know, private property rights. The, sure. the business owner can put a sign on their front door saying, you know, please don't carry in this establishment. But at least it's no longer state law. Is it in Tennessee? Is it um, is it a firearms violation or is it a trans trespassing violation if you disobey? From, from what I understand, it's a trespassing okay. violation. Yeah. So I live in if they notice you're carrying. And right. they say, please leave, and right. you don't leave, then they can charge you with trespassing. I think it's the same in Kentucky. 
I think, and I'm not a lawyer, so don't quote me on this, but I think it's the same in Kentucky. And, and I live in Colorado now, and as blue as this state is, it has very good gun laws for the most part, other than the magazine limit. Uh, but the magazine limit is completely unenforceable, right? Like, like I have high-capacity magazines that I had long before that law was passed, and if you have them from then, from before it was passed, they there's no way to enforce it. They can't prove that it's old or not. But the the good thing about the laws here, and I actually really appreciate this, because Kentucky, I think, is still like if an establishment serves 51% alcohol, you can't carry in it. I think that's the law. Again, I'm not a lawyer. But in Colorado, basically the rule is you can't drink when you have your firearm on you. So you have to have a designated driver and shooter, right? You have to have a designated right. shooter. And that makes sense to me because if you trust me to not get drunk and drive my car home and kill people, then you should trust me with the responsibility as an armed citizen. And so, you know, I think that's the way the law ought to be everywhere. Designate one person as the shooter and the, and the driver. And that's the person that that both protects and ferries everyone and everybody else. Have a great time. Yeah. Um, what do you see on the horizon? Do you see? I mean, what what's most dangerous to the Second Amendment right now? Obviously, the big elephant in the room is Joe Biden. But do you think Joe Biden, the Senate and the Supreme Court? Are you worried about the Supreme Court? Well, you know, there's. I know Justice There's John talk Roberts. behind closed doors about stacking the. Uh, oh Supreme yeah, Court. yeah. Well, they would have to get, um, they would have to get the, uh, the the Senate in order to do that. But yeah, if they could stack the Supreme Court, that would be scary. I don't think that's actually going to happen. I mean, as I've researched it, last time they tried to do it, it was FDR and it went badly. And if you look at poll numbers, like right now, most Americans don't want that to happen. And that's maybe what you would consider a high bearing fruit versus the low bearing fruit that that Biden probably wants to go after. But I do think it's a significant danger. I, I do agree with you. Um, yeah. It's a terrible idea because you're basically admitting right uh, right there up front. You're, you're admitting we want the court to be political as opposed to check on political. I mean, the court's designed to be anti-political. It's, it's designed to actually rein in the political. And yet well, people that want to stack the court are essentially saying, hey, guess what? We should make it political. So everything is political. You know, yeah, I think that I think that Biden and his supporters, um, the Democrats, will look to make gun ownership so costly that less people partake in their Second Amendment rights. I mean, yeah. that's that's a for sure way to do it is just make it so expensive that only the wealthy can afford to have guns, background checks and carry permits. Well, here's what I'm most worried about with the Biden administration. And this will happen, I believe, regardless of the outcome of the Senate. I think the Republicans are going to hold the Senate. And I think they'll hold the line on, quote unquote, gun laws. But during the Obama administration, and I think this is going to come back right away with the Biden administration, because I think the Biden administration is essentially going to be a repeat of the Obama philosophy. And Operation, I think it was called Operation Choke Point. Um, where they essentially decided the government would deem which businesses were moral and which were not, and then pressure banks to not do business with those quote-unquote immoral businesses. And lumped in there were payday cash loans, um, some legitimately maybe we shouldn't be having these businesses around that were tied to very 
very various elements of of human trafficking, and then firearms, anything having to do with firearms manufacturing. So they were drying up the access to credit. And that's actually starting to happen again, partly with the bully mob from the left, because they have this platform on Twitter and Facebook that lets them do whatever the hell they want while the opposition is censored. And also, I think from an executive order standpoint, I'm very concerned about the Biden administration bringing that back and trying to squeeze out firearms and and ammunition manufacturers so that it becomes, like you said, whether they tax it or not, almost impossible to buy a firearm because it'd be impossible to actually be in that business. Well, I think they're also extremely interested in making it so that uh, victims of what they call gun crimes can go and sue gun manufacturers. Can you imagine if that were allowed? Like, um, I don't know, some guy chooses to drink and drive his Ford Explorer and kills your relative or kills, you know, someone that you love and you can go and sue Ford. Right. What would that do to to that industry. Well, would Ford Explorer would cost $7 million. So <laughs> it would make a Ford Explorer cost $7 million. Yeah, it would destroy <laughs> it. It's so funny you bring this up because last night my wife and I, I, I spoiler alert to anybody that watches Blacklist. Do you like that show? With, I've never seen that show. Okay. It's, it, up until this year, it was fantastic. Because up until this year, the woke politics had been left out of it. And the left wing had pretty like the the whole Hollywood politics thing had been left out this year, this season. uh, The invasion of the woke brigade came in and they started making all the episodes political lectures. And they did the same thing with Blind Spot, which I used to love that show. And then about three seasons in, it became woke lectures. And then it was like, I don't even want to watch this because it's so much lecturing that I don't I've lost the plot. So last night, my wife and I were watching episode, it was uh, season seven, episode 15. So spoiler alert for you, if you want to pause or skip over this part. But season seven, episode 15 was about a gun manufacturer who was legally manufacturing an inexpensive nine millimeter handgun. The plot was that these criminals were buying 30 or 40 of them from dealers and then flooding the streets with them. So... They tried to use the power of the FBI to go after the owner of the company, and they never actually established that the owner of the company was doing anything criminal until they get to this one part where they're at a gun show, and the owner of the company is at the gun show, and there's a firearms dealer there, and the FBI has sent back in, pardon me for being long, but they've sent this girl back in that's a straw buyer to buy 30 of these handguns. And the, the dealer is skeptical of it, and the owner of the gun manufacturer tells him, just sell them, as if he's the dealer's boss. And I stopped the TV, and I looked at my wife, and I said, this is what's wrong with American media, right? Most people watching this think this is actually how this works. Gun manufacturers sell the guns to the dealers, and they're done with it. They have no idea and no care what those dealers do with the firearms because it's entirely the responsibility of the, of the dealer now, right? Like in other words, if I sell you 30 guns as a firearms dealer, I've sold you those guns. I've made my money. So there's no dealer or there's no manufacturer going to a dealer saying, you better sell those straw. You know what I'm saying? Like the whole premise was false. It would never happen that way. And I finally, at the end of the show, I looked at my wife and I was like, I'm done with this. I can't, this is all this did was in at the end, of course, here's the spoiler. Raymond Reddington, the star of the show, who's a criminal mastermind who murders people, shoots and kills the owner of the manufacturer to bring, quote unquote, justice. And I looked at my wife and I was like, 
this is so perfect for Hollywood. The absolute blindness to their own hypocrisy that they, first of all, were using the FBI to go after political positions, and then they had a murderous criminal mastermind kill a guy to bring justice to this who had been who had never committed a crime. And I was like, this is this drives me nuts that people and let's talk about that for a second, Nikki, because people don't know how this industry works because the media lies about how the industry works and about how easy it is to get a gun. Absolutely, they do. Their bias shows through over and over again. Um, in the end, though, I, I mean, in terms of how that actually works, when you when you have people that are misinformed, that's what makes it easier to pass stupid laws. Exactly. Now, let's go back to your story for a minute. Um, one of the things that you talk about in your book, Stalked and Defenseless, is that we have two failures of the justice system. Number one, the failure that failed you in not allowing you to carry your firearm in a place where someone was stalking you. And number two, the fact that the justice system really is possibly soon going to let your stalker out of jail. Can you talk about that a little bit? Are you comfortable? Sure. Um, well, about a, it was a year ago I found out that um, – well, first, let me tell you this. He was sentenced to 23 years in prison. Um, unfortunately, it was a bench trial. There was no jury. It was just a judge. And that judge dropped it from first degree premeditated murder to sec second degree. Now, let me tell you, when the police searched the perpetrator's vehicle at the crime scene, they found two more guns, ammunition, a baseball bat, binoculars, gloves, rope, and a knife. Now, you tell me that's not premeditated, but <laughs> right. the judge dropped it to second degree. So that's 23 years that he got. Can, I, then, can, I, can I pause you there real quick? Did, sure. did, did the judge ever give a reason for why he went easy on this guy? I mean, even if they hadn't found everything that you said they found in the trunk of his car, he cold-blooded shot your husband in the back of the head and then stood over him and continued to fire. Your husband never attacked him, never went after him, was not even aware that he was being attacked. Did the judge right. ever say how what he used to justify drop? Because second degree manslaughter is like me and this guy get in a fight that I started and then I kill him during the fight. Right. Like that's like, you know, it, uh, that that's that's kind of like a moment of passion. This wasn't a moment of passion. It was clearly calculated even without the evidence in the car. Did he ever give a, an explanation for why he dropped it? It was an insanity defense and he did not win that portion, but they brought in mental health experts that testified they believed he is delusional. Jeez. And I think that played a role okay. in the judge's decision. Okay. But um, then I find out that he has been writing me twisted love letters from prison. I found this out about, a, it was a year ago. And um, you want to talk about shocked, mm -hmm. infuriated, um, tormented nightmares can't sleep can't focus can't work like it all comes back and then i find out he's been allowed to earn early release good behavior credits so he doesn't even have to serve the full 23 years i think it's like 19 and a half years wow. that he serves and he's been writing these awful letters and um I had to hire an attorney to try and convince the DA's office and Tennessee Department of Corrections 
you know, that this guy needed to be charged and he definitely doesn't deserve early release. This is not good behavior. And that is just now starting to take hold. I believe he's going to be charged very soon. And hopefully, hopefully they will not let him out early and they'll give him additional years for this. Char- charged with harassing you, essentially, because I, I, if I remember correctly, that you weren't actually receiving the letters at your home. Your lawyer was intercepting them for you. But when you when your lawyer found out that he was potentially going to be early released, I think your lawyer let you know. Is that is that how that happened? Or you you had an intermediary that was sort of protecting you. But then at at some point they felt like they needed to bring you in the loop on that. Is that right? I was actually working on my book and I got to the chapter where I talk about um, the initial letters that I received before the, the murder trial. He sent a few letters before the trial. And I let the, um, the prosecutor, the detective, the victim witness coordinator at the time, I let them all know. And I said, I need this to stop. Apparently, I need to get a restraining order. And nothing ever became of it. And I just got frustrated. And I just gave up. And I just told my attorney, look, I can't handle this. We haven't even gone to trial yet. I'm a basket case. Like, nobody's doing anything to help me. So just don't tell me. I don't want to know. I can't handle this. Wow. <laughs> so he honored my wishes and he didn't tell me for years. Apparently these letters were being sent to my attorney that I used for my wrongful death suit against the perp. And um, then I was working on my book and it just struck me. Oh my God. I wonder, Oh God, I wonder if he has sent more letters. And that's when I reached out to the attorney and that's when he told me. Did you so, so did you win the wrongful death lawsuit, the initial one? Yes, I did, but and I there's look, no I assets there, you. right? I mean I can't even tell you how many millions of dollars <laughs> was awarded to me through this judgment, but apparently he is indigent, so of course I get nothing. Right. And the courts, you know, the justice system does not force prisoners to work and repay right. their victims and right. it, i have not gotten one penny yeah it's been 11 so, years almost 12 <laughs> so the the cost that you incurred to bring that suit was out of your pocket and now the cost to try to keep that guy in jail is out of your pocket and you're the one who was attacked and lost everything yeah i mean this guy completely destroyed the future that I had planned with, with Ben, we had just started talking about starting a family. We were getting ready to start our family. We wanted children. Yeah. I'm 44 years old now. I'm, I'm never going to have my own children. I've not remarried. That man destroyed the complete circle of my life and my future. Right. I would love to be able to adopt a child, mm-hmm. but I don't have 40 or $50,000 to do that. Right. Do you mind me asking how much you've spent to defend yourself, so to speak? I'll just say it's thousands. Wow. <laughs> wow. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of women coming to firearms. And, you know, my wife is, uh, she's a tiny little thing who's a badass with a gun. And I remember when she, when I first introduced her to firearms, she wasn't, you know, she's very pro Second Amendment, but she wasn't fascinated by guns didn't really care that much and and then she started shooting and now she's a badass um 
and I actually feel pretty comfortable, you know, if I'm not home that, and there's been a couple of situations that have arisen over time that have proven to me that, that she's going to be just fine in that situation as long as she is armed. Um, but what would you say, you know, as a, as a female who has been through the worst, one of the worst things possible for a female in terms of victimization, um, you know, what would you say to women who are maybe listening right now and thinking that maybe I should arm myself? Do you have any advice? Do you have any um, tips and tricks and ideas that you would give to women in, in, in support of their use? I would encourage women to do the research on a, a reputable um, firearms trainer. Mm-hmm. Just go online in your area, talk with other people who are gun owners that you may know. And really do the homework to find a reputable place to get good training. I know that a lot of women kind of feel intimidated being trained by men. Yes. Um, Some don't. But, you know, there are a lot of great women firearms trainers out there. there. I would encourage them to really research and, and, and find those places. But training... Training is number one, and it's it's not all necessarily about handling, you know, the firearm and firearm safety, but a lot of it is situational, mm-hmm. situational awareness. Yeah, being aware of what is going on around you, and making smart decisions for yourself and your safety. I was talking to somebody the other day. I said, my little 120 pound wife walking down the street is going to be less of a target than the average 200 pound man for the very simple reason that she has her head on a swivel. She knows to be aware of her surroundings. And people that are looking to victimize or attack someone will look for someone who's buried in their phone looking at Instagram. They will look for someone who is meek. They will look for someone who seems or appears intimidated or unconfident of their surroundings. And there's a lot of guys just, you know, walking down the street that aren't really paying attention to what's going on. And if you take, you know, a a woman can be much safer simply by knowing what's going on around her, being aware, giving eye contact to people who might, you know what I mean? It's like when you make that, these, these people that tend to victimize your situation is a little different because of what was boiling under that guy's skin. But in the case of just walking down the street, the people who are going to commit crimes tend to want the easiest route. And they're smart enough to know that it's not often the smallest person that is the easiest route. It's the one paying the least amount of attention. So sure. I fully agree with you about situational awareness. Um, what uh, Do you do a lot of training now yourself? Yeah, I've had my handgun carry permit class, intermediate pistol, advanced pistol. I've taken tactical training, three more advanced pistol trainings, and... Um, uh, I went to Front Sight oh, Training yeah. Academy. Yeah, that was really nice. Uh, yeah, Front Sight is training. the one in Nevada, and then Gun Sight is the one in uh, Prescott, Arizona, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, Front Sight is. Um, I've heard great things about both places. Um, what? What did you do? Like a multi-day course there, or what? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I did their multi-day handgun course. Yeah. It was fantastic. Of course. I think they're kind of restricted now on what they can do because yeah. you can't have groups of people meet to do firearms training and yeah. you have to be within six feet of someone in order to train them proficiently. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no doubt. Um, fortunately here in Colorado, they haven't shut down 
the firearms training industry at all. It's considered an essential business, um, you know. But uh, my boss actually just got back from uh, Front Sight and had a good time. And I want to go to Gun Sight. That's the one in Arizona that was started by what's the guy as a colonel? He came up with like so many of the things that we throw around in firearms training now. Um, but yeah, I I want to I want to do both actually because both have great reputations. Do you do you enjoy? Firearms. I know it's a weird question, especially given what happened to you, but you were already pro firearm before this happened. Do you enjoy it? Do you enjoy shooting? Right. Yeah. I mean, I was a gun owner and had my carry permit and I was pro second amendment before this happened. But, you know, I think people feel a little weird talking about it. Like, Oh, you know, how can she enjoy firearms after what happened? Well, I kind of think of it this way, you know, if you're into hot rod cars Right. Or classic cars and that's your passion and that's what you really enjoy yeah and i don't know a loved one gets hit by a classic car and dies i don't think that's going to make you hate classic cars right you know? right right yeah no that makes total sense um nikki it's always great having you on let's talk a little bit real quick about your book and where people can get it um stocked and defenseless um is that available pretty much at all bookstores i know you can get it at amazon um, where it's can at people, Amazon yeah. and Barnes and Noble. Oh, good. Yeah, good. Um, yeah, I want people to read your story. Um, you can go to StocktonDefenseless.com and, and get a little bit more information on the book. Um, but I want people to read your story and understand, you know, there are evil people out there. And I, I think more than ever, we've seen that evil is afoot over the last year or so. And, you know, it, there's this there's this myth, you know, my wife and I, when we first moved into our first house after that little townhouse, when we got our first place. We had a home invasion and it was the middle of the night. And fortunately, my dogs chased off the uh, home invader and I didn't actually have to confront them. I wasn't prepared at the time. Um, but what we were in a very low crime area of town in a, in a brand new house and it still found us. Trouble found us. Trouble found you, Nikki. You're just minding your own business in a place where you would think you would be safe. So I just want to encourage people to read your story and then also arm themselves and get that training. Absolutely. And one other resource people can check out is um, I'm executive director for the Crime Prevention Research Center. And our website has so, um, so many statistical points and stories where concealed handgun permit holders have stopped crime, have stopped mass public shootings even. Right. And this is information that you won't get from the mainstream media. So if you're interested in this data, go to crimeresearch.org. Um, and I, I just want to tell people right now, hold on, I'm going to try this. Um, it is, let's see. No, I'm trying to find the, um, oh, it's Q U Q W A N T. I think it is. Yeah. So there's a search engine called Quant, Q-W-A-N-T. It does not. It doesn't censor, and it doesn't. Um, it doesn't uh, track you. Um, uh, the reason I'm doing this, I'm kind of doing this as we go, is because Google, Google kind of makes it hard to find you guys. Yes. Um, it's Crime Prevention Research Center. Hang on, I'm just putting this into Quant, and I want to see if it comes up better here. Uh, let's see, crime prevention research center. There you are. Bam. So if I go to Google, the whole reason I just did this all while we were actually talking, 
um, the whole I, if I go to Google, it tells me that I can't go to your website. Um, it, it's broken. But if I go to Quant, Q W A N T, and type in crime prevention research, you're about the fifth thing down, and it goes right to your website. So I just I want to I want people to know that that Google is trying to stop them from getting the information that you guys are compiling. Yes. So, uh, and also I noticed that you recently uh, were on with my good friend um, on the Against Nice podcast, Jim Paff. So, yeah, Jim, yeah. he's a great guy. He yeah. used to be my boss when I worked for Congressman Thomas Massey. Yep, Yeah, he's a good dude. And now we only live about 20 minutes from each other. So we've been on each other's podcasts. So <laughs> that's pretty cool. So listen, um, it's crime, uh, crimeresearch.org is the website. So if you want to go check out some of the statistics that they have there, it will arm you to have common sense conversations with gun idiots. <laughs> so <laughs> that's why it's important. Nikki, it's great talking to you. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you. You take care, Leland. All right, we'll talk soon. Nikki Gozer, okay. uh, again with the Crime Prevention Research Center and the author of Stalked and Defenseless. Highly, highly recommend that book. Um, thanks to our podcast sponsor. It's uh, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. We appreciate their sponsorship of this podcast, helping us to keep it free. If you are looking to upgrade your kitchen, maybe you're getting ready to sell your house and uh, and move on to the next thing, or maybe... Uh, you just want to make the house that you have now your dream home, and you want to do that by making it the best kitchen possible. Whether you're a contractor or a do-it-yourselfer, they have uh, really awesome, high-quality, inexpensive con, uh, uh, cabinets in stock. Or if you want a turnkey kitchen remodel experience, I would just give them a call um, because you can talk to their three designers, George, Kelly, Michelle. They'll be happy uh, to talk to you about basically doing the whole job from beginning to end. Call them at 502-930-3304. Visit LouisvilleCabinetsAndCountertops.com or visit the showroom at 6200 Hit Lane in Louisville, Kentucky, right on the border of Odom County. So if you're in southern Indiana, Odom, or uh, Louisville, that's your place. I fully believe they did our kitchen we sold our house in one day, and I fully believe that a beautiful kitchen had something to do with how quickly we were able to get offers on our home. So if that's what you're looking for, or if you want to make it your dream home, it's Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. Thanks to JP Web Design for their help with this program. We also appreciate uh, our co-executive producer, Cameron Mills. And uh, thanks to uh, Dynamics Audio for their audio help with this program as well in Lexington, Kentucky. Great production house there if you're looking for anything from digitizing old tapes so that you can update them to modern uh, platforms or full-on media projects that you need done. They are great. So thanks and check them out. On the uh, internet or on the uh, social media world, find us. It's at Great Lelando on Instagram and at The Disruption Zone. And on, in, on Twitter, it's at... Uh, Leland Show and at Zone Disruption. This has been the Disruption Zone. I'm Leland Conway. Thanks for listening. <laughs>